Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study through the Old Testament, we're working through the Old Testament a chapter at a time. We went through the New Testament in a five-year period, a chapter at a time, so we've got a track record. We are 20, this is the 21st chapter of the book of Genesis. Um, so if you weren't here when we started, you can go back and listen to all five years worth on the internet and get caught up. No, I wouldn't recommend that. That would be a lot. But um, Genesis is a fascinating book. First book in the Old Testament. And, you know, the things that we talk about, we sort of highlight. Remember, the first 11 chapters of Genesis are sort of about four main events. Um, the creation, uh, the fall, the, um, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Those are the four main events that happen over those first 11 chapters. And then when we move from chapters 12 through 50, um, you, you're kind of dealing with four main characters. There's a lot of other characters involved. But the four main characters that we look at are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so those are the main stories then and how they touch lives and how things are impacted in the process. But, you know, if you can sort of remember that when you think about Genesis, you'll have a pretty good idea of what we're going through. And then the other major thing, Genesis 3.15 begins the, what we call the crimson thread of redemption. So that should sort of be resonating with you by now. I've said it since chapter 3. So... Uh, um, that's, you know, immediately after the fall, we see this thread of redemption that takes place that leads to Christ um, and is completed in Him uh, at the cross. But uh, you will see now, weaving through the Old Testament, this thread of redemption that's made possible or what's taking place and how, how the enemy attacks it throughout the Old Testament, how God protects it throughout the entire Old Testament until we get to the very, you know, thing that happens at the cross. And, you know, the enemy still thinks he's destroying it, when in fact he's not the opposite. So, he can't because God is God. So, we're in uh, Genesis now, chapter 21, and now um, Isaac enters the scene. So, primarily now we've been talking about Abraham. We're not completely done with him yet, but um, Isaac is now born. Isaac is the promised child that they've been waiting for. Uh, 25 years since they received the promise, They've done fairly well, but they've gotten off track, as we've looked at quite a while, which is, you know, quite a few times, which is what we've done. Um, along the journey, um, they got Ishmael, who's now about 17 um, at the point of this writing. So they had they waited eight years and tried to fix this problem in themselves, had to wait another length of time. There's a reason behind that. We'll talk about that some more today. Um, as we look at this chapter, Genesis 21, you, you start to get a lot of um, typology. Uh, and that means that in, in the Old Testament, there's things that we see that are preparing us for events in the New Testament. And um, this particular chapter is referenced um, quite often by the Apostle Paul in Galatians uh, when he's trying to explain the difference between the law and what we have in Christ. And, and so he'll use a lot of these um, characters in his um, description of what's happening. And so we begin to see some of these things now as types of what we know needs to happen. And, and, and we understand, looking back through the lens of the New Testament into the Old Testament, why they are there and what's happening. But remember now you have uh, Sarah throughout this process who's, uh, uh, you know, been aware of this promise for these 25 years. 
and it hasn't happened. Um, her, her, Abraham's name actually means father of a multitude, and up to this point, um, he's not the father of a multitude. In fact, he's the father of but one, Ishmael, which wasn't the promised one anyway. Um, and now finally, um, she's, uh, uh, she she's indeed gets pregnant and has Isaac, and they're all rejoicing now in the birth of Isaac. However, the birth of Isaac also causes them some problems, and we have to look at that along the way. And, uh, but there's some amazing things that happen uh, with the birth of Isaac. Um, the, you know, and a few things before we get into the chapter. It's the fulfillment of God's promise. When God had called Abraham uh, back in, in chapter 12, told him he would make him a great nation and bless the whole world through him, repeatedly promised him the land of Canaan to Abraham and his descendants, and that um, Abraham would be the father of the promised seed, part of this crimson thread of redemption, and that Sarah would be the mother of this whole process, not Hagar. And, um, and so 25 years now into the mix, one of the things you need to know is that God is faithful to keep his promises. God had promised, and God delivers on his promise. And even though um, Abraham and Sarah had wavered at times in their faith, um, they, they always believed God, and God honors their faith, and it's recorded in Hebrews 11. You can, if you don't remember or looking at that, you can see it. So, uh, so it's a fulfillment of a promise. Um, also, Isaac's birth is the rewarding of patience. Um, as I said, Abraham and Sarah ultimately had to wait 25 years for their son to be born. And, um, um, you know, it's, you know, we inherit the promises through faith and patience, um, both of which are pretty um, interesting character traits. And, uh, you know, fortunately, God is faithful even when we are faithless, but we, and we only need a mustard seed of faith. We don't need a whole lot of faith, but we need some faith. And that's why I like the story again. They're honored, you know, God, they're revered as having been the great people of faith. And we saw them waver quite a bit. And then the other thing is patience. And again, not one of our favorite things. Uh, most people I know are, if you ask them to list their favorite thing, they wouldn't go, patience! Uh, we don't usually like to wait very much. Um, it stretches us. But, you know, if we can get back to the fact that God honors His promises, then, then we can find some peace um, in, in that whole process. And, and, uh, and so, you know, that's a, that's a pretty significant deal. And, you know, we just got to hang on sometimes and know that God is good and He's faithful and we can trust Him. And, and uh, um, we learn really how to trust Him while we wait. Uh, if everything just kind of happened like that, we wouldn't develop much trust for God. We'd just be kind of spoiled. So we learn to wait on the promises. Um, the birth of Isaac reveals God's power once again. And, and so you, you need to know, because you go, well, why did God wait so long in following through on his promise? 25 years, a long time. Even though they lived longer than we did, 25 years is a, is a significant amount of time. I mean, just stop. Those of you that are older than 25, this covers most of us, uh, not all of us, but most of us. Um, think about 25 years ago, and I mean, that was a long time ago. Really, think about wait, you know, waiting 25 years, particularly when you start out at 75. <laughs> That's a long wait. So you understand why he, he sort of wavered, but the, the reason there was a wait is that what God was looking for was for, uh, you know, you, you'll see it in the New Testament too, that Abraham and Sarah would be as good as dead 
in relation, uh, you know, in, in relation to their ability to, by any natural means, produce an offspring. So um, they had to wait. And, and you know, it, it, we saw at 75, it wasn't going to happen. At 82, when, when Abraham was still able to do it in the natural, that wasn't long enough. And so they have to wait. You know, it was Sarah was, was past where she could, uh, na- you know, naturally, but Abraham wasn't. And now 20, it's Abraham's past that point where apparently he can uh, conceive, uh, help to conceive children naturally. And so now they can be reckoned as good as dead in the process. And, and this is a, then a picture of God's power. It's not, oh, it might just happen by chance. This is God who did this thing. And, um, and so that was very important for us to see that that happened. And in, in effect, what Abraham and Sarah witness in their own lives is God's resurrection power. Um, that this is made possible by the Holy Spirit in the process. So that's what happens there. And, um, a, a, you know, last thing that we'll talk about is that the, the birth of Isaac is another step in this crimson thread of redemption in accomplishing God's purpose. Um, the, the, so think, you know, along the line now, the future redemption of a lost world rests in Isaac here for a little while. That's where it's sitting. Just this little baby um, is, is, you know, it's very tenuous at this point. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Then, you know, it, it, so it's, uh, you know, it has to go through this certain line because, you know, Isaac would have Jacob and then Jacob would have the 12 tribes of Israel and from the 12 tribes um, the promised Messiah would be born into the process and so along this journey now there's these links but it's a little tenuous when you think I mean I don't know how often you think about that but this plan now at this point rests on baby Isaac pretty significant deal so um, so you just never know who I, I think this way all of us are significant in the work that God's doing um, in the church and until he comes back. There are no such, there's no, there's no insignificant links. And it's a picture of that as well. All right, let's look through Genesis 21. And we'll talk about a few things on the other side. Beginning in verse 1, a little longer chapter than some of the others. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And so, and she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. 
And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I have... Uh, I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you've set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so um, lots of stuff going on. We'll, we'll concentrate primarily on the beginning stuff and the, the things that I want you to see from uh, what Paul will draw on in Galatians as well. So first uh, seven verses, pretty much Abraham, you know, again has a son at 100 years of age and, uh, and then actually lives long enough to raise him into adulthood. Um, and it, it, it seems impossible, but we have to remember that God is a God of the impossible. And I explained why it was so important for it to happen that way. And, uh, and finally, we get to see Sarah in those verses um, happy. Um, she hasn't been uh, and, you know, we keep seeing her in, in all sorts of ways. Um, and, and I would say that, that what kept her from experiencing that along the journey, and reasonable, I'm not picking on her, um, but because she, the constant doubt and the worry and the fear that this was going to happen um, all along the way, trying to make it happen, the whole thing with Hagar and, and uh, along the journey, um, she'd lost sight. Uh, and so her, when her faith wavered a little, as it does with us, um, it was a difficult season for her. And, um, you know, I would say to all of us, when, when we're struggling um, with being unsettled, I talked about this last weekend, we, we have to just get focused on God's promises and trust in Him. That's where you find a settledness once again. So whenever you're experiencing that unsettledness, um, you know, let, trust in the Lord with our whole heart. Lean not in our own understanding, the whole Proverbs thing that we talked about. So um, we see that happening. Now, Abraham and Sarah... Um, are, are sort of a, a picture of faith and promise and, and, um, uh, and, and how they go together. Um, God keeps His promises and, and gives you the power to do what you need to do and what He, you know, power you need to do what He wants you to do. Let me put it that way. And so, so no matter how long we have to wait, um, we can trust that God will accomplish His purposes. And that's where we kind of hang those together. So faith and promise hang together there and Abraham and Sarah are a picture of that. And I like the fact that, that they're not a perfect picture. 
because we couldn't measure up to that. And uh, um, you just can't. And so, so it was real. But it's, it's, it shows the faithfulness of God through it all. And then now we have this thing that happens in the next few verses where um, apparently, so now Isaac's born and then Isaac's weaned. And Middle East, that would have been, he would have been three or four at that point in time. So uh, that's when I said, so um, by doing some math backwards to the birth of uh, Ishmael, at that point, Ishmael would have been about 17. It would have been 13 or 14 when Isaac was born. And, um, I, you know, it's a difficult situation because he had sort of been the heir. Now he's not. And so apparently he's, even at his age, he's mocking the baby and uh, the, well, the small child now, three or four, um, and maybe in a threatening way, we don't know, but we know that Sarah all of a sudden was like, okay, that's not going to work. He's got to go. Um, it distresses Abraham because Ishmael is Abraham's son, but uh, he can't stay there. And uh, that seems, you know, maybe a little difficult for us to understand, um, but we'll understand more why because it's a type of something that's going to happen that we need to deal with. Uh, but... but um, it's sort of a uh, a picture of uh, God having to move in this situation because Isaac and Ishmael sort of both represent something. Um, Isaac kind of represents life in the spirit and Ishmael represents life in the flesh. And that's where we start getting to some of these Paul's, Paul's analogies. So uh, you can write it down if you want. Um, in, in Galatians 4, 28 and 29... Paul says that Ishmael represents the believer's first birth, the birth of the flesh, and Isaac represents the second birth or the birth of the spirit. And, and the reason for that is Ishmael was born of the flesh because Abraham um, had not yet, you know, sort of died to the ability to do that. And so it wasn't the supernatural act of God that needed to take place. This was Abraham trying to work it out, um, you know, with Hagar. And so... Um, uh, so Ishmael was born of the flesh, while Isaac was born of the spirit, because at the time Isaac was born, both of um, his parents were, were, were both dead in the ability to procreate. And so he was born of the spirit. It was a supernatural event that took place. Only God's power could have brought conception and birth at that time. And so Ishmael was born first because the natural comes before the spiritual. And so you, you need to know that... that that sort of sets the tone for what's going to happen now with Ishmael and uh, Isaac. And um, then when you begin to consider that fact and some facts about Hagar, um, we'll also see where Paul then takes us in Galatians to talk about, um, you know, the, the difference between law and, and grace in the Christian life. So... Hagar was, in effect, Abraham's second wife. She was added alongside Sarah. And, and the law was added alongside God's already existing promises and was always only meant to be temporary. Paul talks about that in Galatians 3, 19 through 25. So, you know, a lot of people want to get hung up on the law still, but God didn't start with the law. Um, his relationship to Adam and Eve was based on grace, not law. Uh, and, you know, um, even though there was one simple restriction about the tree, that wasn't the, the law as we know it now. It was just, everything's good, don't do that. And we know what they did. <laughs> like, 
just like all of us. Oh, wow, don't do that. Everything's good and not that. I wonder what that is. That's how we get in trouble, right? And so, um, so there's a difference between... So the, the, the law came alongside grace temporarily. And, and that's sort of a picture of Hagar um, in the process uh, coming alongside... Uh, even though it wasn't, you know, the, the ideal plan, but now it's a picture, that, uh, a type of what's going to happen. And so, um, so you need to know that before Moses ever gave the law, Israel was in a covenant, covenant relationship with God. In effect, they were already married to God um, in the process through his promises to the patriarchs back in Exodus. So all that's set up already. Now, Hagar also was a servant. And Paul talks about, uh, you know, he says, you know, you know, wherefore then would you, why do you want to serve the law? Um, and that somehow the law was God's servant or a schoolmaster or a tutor to keep the infant nation of Israel under control and prepare them for the coming of the Redeemer that would happen at the time of redemption and when Jesus comes. And so, in effect, the law was given to reveal sin, but not to redeem us from sin. Um, so grace doesn't serve the law. Law serves grace. The law reveals our need for grace, and grace saves us completely apart from the works of the law. So, so in, in effect, what you're seeing is that this picture is happening now um, in, in this whole process with Hagar uh, and the difference between her and Sarah and the difference in their offspring. And, and uh, in effect, you know, Hagar was never supposed to bear a child. Uh, and, and so the law could, could never do what Jesus came to do. Uh, the law could never give life and righteousness and the Holy Spirit and an eternal inheritance. All of those things only come by grace through faith. And, and so, um, so all those things are sort of in works and the things that are happening there in this chapter are a type of these things to come. And so you need to be aware of those things. And now, you know, having sort of looked at that, when you read Paul in Galatians talk about those issues, you can see the typology that he's using and what's happening. Uh, on the journey. So, so all of that is sort of in play here in Genesis. Because you could just read Genesis 21 and think that's really harsh that, that um, Ishmael had to get out of the camp um, when Isaac came. But when Jesus came, the law has to go. Uh, that's how that works. That's when, the, when, when the, the redemption came, the law, which was temporary, didn't need to be in effect anymore. Couldn't ever, because the law couldn't, you couldn't get saved by the law. You couldn't get fixed by the law. You couldn't get healed by the law. You couldn't get eternal life through the law. So keeping the law for all those things didn't do you, but only Jesus can do that. And so all that's what we hold into um, account. Uh, verse 18, you know, Ishmael and his descendants, Ishmael became a ruler of a large tribe or nation. The Ishmaelites at that time, uh, you know, around the, they were nomads living in the wilderness of the Sinai and Paran. Um, one of Ishmael's daughters, we find out, marries Esau. Uh, uh, it, it, so, uh, who is Ishmael's nephew? And um, um, in, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 83 that the Ishmaelites were hostile to Israel and to God. So, God honors what He said He's going to honor, but it's a thorn in the side of Israel um, because it, it, you know because they got off track. Again, for me, I'm glad to know that you can get off track and still get. It's very helpful to me. I know I bring that up a lot, but I find a lot of comfort in that because I, I can get really messed up pretty quick. And uh, <laughs> I would hate to go, oops, I messed up, I'm done. Um, I don't want to mess up. We've talked about that, but it happens. And then the uh, Beersheba comes up. It's sort of the, uh, it's the southernmost city of Israel. 
Um, it's right on the edge of a vast desert, um, and it, it stretches as far as Egypt to the southwest and Mount Sinai to the south. So, um, so this is the pro, pro, you know the area that we're sort of talking about, and um, Abraham sort of settles there at this point in the journey. And we'll also know that, that Beersheba is the, the home of Isaac, Abraham's son. So they're, they're set up into that land. They're near it. Um, and, and, you know, we'll watch the progression takes place. Now, this whole process also sets us up because you're going to find, you know, before we get into the land and everything, that um, Israel is going to get taken up into captivity here. Uh, at, at, you know, into the Exodus. We'll see that at the end of Genesis um, by Egypt and become... Um, 400 years slaves to them. So um, there's a lot of stuff coming up. Pretty fascinating, really. But think about that and typologies when we see them and what's happening through the process. But uh, understanding that chapter in light of the lens that Paul gives us, looking back into it from Galatians, I think, is pretty helpful. That's good enough for tonight. Uh, If you're watching my video, thank you so much. We appreciate you doing that. Come and see us soon. And uh, we are finished.